Thanks, Christy, for sharing, um, for uh, Sean and for the house church. Um, one pastor says that God is always doing 10,000 things in our lives, and we're only aware of a handful of them. Uh, so let's uh, continue to, to seek the Lord and, and allow uh, his work to be done in us, trusting him in the darkness, uh, trusting the promises that he's given to us in the light uh, in those times. Um, I, I remember um, when, my, when my, uh, one of my best friends, Sam, was, was dating his now wife, uh, Sarah, uh, there was a uh, very, uh, uh, just a, an anointed godly woman who came to um, and was just asking him some questions. He says, uh, what, you know, do you know uh, that she's a Christian? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And the lady said, does she love Jesus? And he said, yeah, she loves Jesus. And so she just began to ask a bunch of different questions. And then the one question that she asked that I'll never forget that stuck with me to this day. She said, have you heard her pray? And have you heard her pray? I've never forgotten that question. In fact, when I do pre-dating counseling or pre-marital counseling or when someone tells me, I just met this girl or I just met this guy, and yeah, they love the Lord, um, that's often a question that I ask is, have you heard them pray? Because they can do a lot of things at church. They can say that they're, you know, they love the Lord. But it's in our prayers that we find the deepest expression of a person's theology, right? In prayer, you learn so much about a person's heart. You learn about to whom they pray. Who is the God to whom they pray? Are they comfortable with them? I had a friend growing up in, in high school, and he used to always pray. When he would pray, he would always say, Lord, Father, God, Lord, Father, God, Lord, Father, God, Lord, Father, God. And he always seemed uncomfortable around God. You learn so much about a person's theology and their beliefs by how they pray. How big are their prayers? How big is their God? What is the largest thing for which they pray? Is God just a sugar daddy to them? Or do they really see him as a God of the universe who's able to move mountains and to change lives? You learn so much about a person and what they believe as you listen to their prayers. How is your prayer life today? brothers and sisters. How is your prayer life? And what do your prayers reveal to God and to others about what you believe about God? That's what we're talking about here. Jesus is talking about this very thing as we look continually at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, and the focus of today is about prayer and how we can become better people of prayer. As Jesus is talking, we saw last week, we began this three-week section where he's talking about these spiritual disciplines, these quote-unquote acts of righteousness, and how the motivation behind why we do what we do is as important as the very things that we do. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Uh, there may be some familiar things that you hear in this passage, especially if you've grown up in the church. But one of Jesus' most profound and wise teachings on prayer are found in the text that we're going to read today. This is God's word. Uh, to particularly uh, the children of God as they, uh, it's being overheard by those who are outside of the family. This is God's word. And when you pray, uh, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, 
For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is God's word. Um, now, if you guys have ever grown up, anyone grow up praying the Lord's Prayer that we see here, the, the Lord's Prayer? You grew up praying it or reciting it. You did it at church every Sunday. Yeah, there's a part that um, is not written in here that is in other manuscripts that end the Lord's Prayer, saying, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Some of the ancient manuscripts had it. The most reliable ones did not. But either way, it is, you know, it's acceptable to pray that because it is uh, an appropriate prayer to pray. So Jesus is talking about prayer, and he's talking about the deep, 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 uh, just the importance of prayer. In these three sections on the spiritual disciplines, more time is given to prayer uh, by number of verses and sheer size of the text in your Bible than to any other, other giving or fasting. Why? Because prayer is such an important, it is the lifeblood of the Christian journey. It's the lifeblood of our relationship with God. Uh, I I read this article that said in 2014, uh, a study was done that said that 84% of Americans believe that God answers their prayers. 84%, 3% said, I don't believe God does. And then the other 13% says, I'm not really sure. But 84% of people in America said, I believe that God answers prayers my prayers when I pray. If that's the case, then the question is, why do so few people actually pray? If we really believed that God answers our prayer, he hears our prayer, then why do so few of us pray? I think part of it, if you ask me personally, why I struggle, my deepest struggles in prayer come because I don't really understand and receive the kind of reward that I want to receive when I pray, whether it be some prayers go unanswered or I feel like uh, my prayers aren't being heard by God or whatever the case might be. Growing up, that's always the struggle that I had when, when it came to prayer. And even as, an, as a minister of the gospel, when I fail in prayer, it's because I don't really believe that I'm receiving a reward for the prayers that I'm lifting up to God. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like I'm wondering, is it worth it? to pray. Is there a reward for me when I pray? Is it worth it? Does God hear me when I pray? Where is my reward? That's what he's talking about, Jesus, right? That's what he's talking about. If you've ever asked questions like that, if you ever felt like, man, I stink at prayer, then this is a good place to be because today all your wildest dreams are going to come true. I'm just kidding. Maybe they are. Maybe this is your encounter, as Christy talked about. Maybe it is. Um, Because we're going to learn from God's word. Three things. What is the prayer? What kind of prayer does God reward in our lives? The first thing, the first prayer that God rewards is prayer that knows that God our Father is our audience. Okay, God our Father is our audience. These last, uh, last couple weeks, we've been looking at this very idea. Jesus is constantly asking, who is your audience when you do these deeds of righteousness, when you do these acts of righteousness? When you pray... To whom do you pray or for whom do you pray? Because 
here's why knowing your audience is, is so important. Because your audience is the one who's going to determine your reward. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to have our youth winter retreat. Okay, if you came in late, registration opens today. Okay, do it. Go. It's going to change your life. It will. I promise you it will. If not, you get your money back. It's going to change your life. So one of the things that happens at these youth retreats, one of the staples of our youth retreat is the uh, all-important skit competition where people will do these skits, usually based on something that they've been learning on a quiet time, on a sermon that was preached by the guest speaker. They'll do these skits. And um, because at the end of the retreat, the teams in which you do skits compete in a bunch of different events, and uh, the skit competition is worth like 500 billion points. And so usually the winner of the skit wins the prize. And they're like, we've had some like really cheesy prizes like, um, you know, fake teeth or candy. And then you you get these like great, amazing prizes like staple munchers and things like that. And so people really want to do their best during skits. People will dress up in all kinds of crazy costumes. Uh, People who have, you've never even heard talk at church will come out and they'll dance on stage. Uh, They'll do their hair all crazy, wear makeup. It's, It's wild. All this in order to win the skit competition. And the question that people always ask, not everyone, but some people who are wise, will ask Daniel, our youth director, ask somebody, say, who are the judges? And for the past 14 years, I've been one of a panel of judges. This is really cool for me. So I'll be one of the judges, and I'll think, wow, you know, a lot of people seem to like that skit, but I didn't think it was that good based on the rubric upon which I'm judging. People are like, dude, that was like amazing. Like, Pastor Dale, wasn't that the best skit ever? I'm like, oh, we'll see at the end. And then there'll be other skits where people are like, oh, man, what was that all about? And I'm like, dude, I'm telling the other judges, that was like amazing. I'm like crying right now. It's so good. And so at the end, when we tally up the scores and the person announces who the winner of the skit competition is, there's always this kind of awkward sense in which like people think they know who's going to win and so third place is oh, okay that was pretty good i understand it got third second place oh man that should have won but oh that's okay second place and first place no 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 a drum roll and everyone's expecting team this to win and then it's like some other team and they're like what even the people in that team are like what our skit was like terrible but according to the judges who are the most important audience we deemed it to be the best skit and so there's people Usually it's like uh, Yunhyuk or Tevin or Tay, and they'll walk by after they do their skit, and they'll say, you like that, Pastor Deal? You like that? (laughs) And they'll say, I did that for you. That one was for you. Because they know. Because they know who the audience is. They could have everyone in the rest of the audience laughing and think that it was great, but there's only one audience that really matters. And it's that audience... That's giving them their reward. And when you pray, who is your audience? Because whoever your audience is, they're going to be ones who give you the reward. He says there's a couple people who, a couple kinds of people who don't really know who their audience is. And so their reward is not given to them by God. It says, verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Here's what they do. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, which literally is amen, amen, they have received their reward in full. So just like it was in, 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 in is today in Islamic countries, their Jewish people had set times to pray. Oh, we got to pray in the morning, we got to pray in the afternoon, we got to pray at nighttime. So maybe prayer time is like 2 p.m. And so 
the devout Jew who really loved God would go into their closet unhindered, undistracted, and they would pray to God. But the people who Jesus calls hypocrites would say, hey, you know, let's just happen to be out in the marketplace right around 2 o'clock because everyone knows it's time for me to pray then, and I'll just stop everything I'm doing. I'll lift my head to the heavens, and I'll pray this amazing, elaborate prayer so that all around people will say, wow, that guy is really religious. He's a really devout Jew. Jesus says you've received your reward in full. We don't do this kind of stuff, do we? Yeah, we don't do stuff like that. Like we set an alarm when we just like set a timer, like two minutes after I get with my friends, it's going to beep. And then they're going to say, what's that alarm for? Oh, I'm just going to pray. (laughs) I do this like 10 times a day. I pray for like an hour. We don't do things like that maybe. But what's our motivation behind coming to prayer meeting? Is it so, you know, you know what? I heard that really godly men like girls who pray. And so uh, I'm going to go to prayer meeting, right? Maybe uh, someone will take a picture and put it on Instagram and say, these are the movers and shakers of the world. Or or maybe, oh, you know, there's this girl that I like and uh, uh, she'll never give me time of day. But maybe if she sees me show up to early morning prayer, she's going to think, wow, he's a man of discipline. (laughs) Maybe we do things like that. I don't know how we do it, but maybe we do certain things in order to be seen by people. He says, if that's your audience, you've already received your reward. Why do you do what you do? Who are you doing it for? Because there's some people who, when they pray, don't really pray to God. You're praying for the sake of other people. He says, you've received your reward. Second kind of people, he says, um, he says, verse 7, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Right? There was those religions in those days who just would uh, just keep on saying words one after another in order that either they could put themselves into an ecstatic state or they could be heard because of their many words. This was how it was. Remember in 1 Kings 18 when Elijah and the prophets of Baal, they're crying out and they're cutting themselves, trying to get the attention of their gods. Jesus Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't be like the pagans who think that because they say a lot of words, they're going to be heard. He says here in verse 8, don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And herein lies one of the great conundrums of the Christian life where some of us say, listen, if God knows what we need, why do we even ask? Haven't you asked that question? God already knows, and he's already going to do what he's going to do. So why do we need to ask? Why do we need to pray if he already knows what's in my heart? Uh, When I was in elementary school during uh, my, what would be Kingdom Keepers Children's Ministry, um, the leader, right, our person who was leading us would always say, repeat this prayer after me. And they would say, dear, this is a long prayer, long prayer. And I'd be repeating, and I'd be getting tired. And my friend uh, would be playing around. And I'd be like, stop it, stop it. And after we prayed, after service was done, I'd say, dude, why do you... I didn't say dude, but I said, hey, why didn't you... Why were you not praying? And he said, oh, I did it. There's a better way to do it. I said, what's that? He said, you don't have to repeat everything. Just say to God, whatever she says, do it, God. And then you can spend the rest of your time playing. (laughs) What a great idea. Whatever, whatever they're saying, God, just do it, and then you don't have to pray. But why if God knows? If she's praying for me, why do I need to pray? Because at a functional level, that question gives a very religious view of prayer. 
a very utilitarian view of prayer, that the only reason for prayer is so that I can get something out of it, so I can twist God's arm. But Jesus is saying that prayer is not fundamentally a religious thing. It is a relational thing. And the reason we pray, even though God knows, he knows what we want. So when, when, I, was ki- when I was younger, I used to have this Snoopy doll that I used to carry around and, and sleep with. And, and my dad would get so mad at me. He'd be like, yeah, what kind of a 17-year-old carries around? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what kind of a 20-year-old? Just kidding. He said, what kind of a boy walks around with a doll like that? Nobody does that. And so he would take Snoopy from me. And I'd, I'd be really sad. And so he would hold him, and he'd, 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 basically his idea was, I don't want you to sleep with him. And so he took him, and then my dad would fall asleep on the sofa. And as soon as I saw that, I would sneak up quietly. I would see how tightly he's gripping him, and then I would try and like, lift up his arm and take Snoopy from him. I think that's what we try and do with God sometimes. We think, if I can just get from God... And then go, that's, that's cool. He's saying, he knows what you, what you need already. He knows what you're going to ask. I think my dad would have been okay if I had come up to him and say, Dad, can I have my doll back? He might have said, no, that's cool. That's his prerogative. But he would much rather have me talk to him and engage in conversation because he already knows what I want, what I need before I even ask it. The reason Jesus tells us to pray even though our Father in heaven knows what we need already, is because he knows that prayer is the very lifeblood and communication is the very foundation upon which every relationship is built. Have you ever said, I want to be more intimate with God? You saw somebody and you said, you know what? They really know Jesus. I want to know God. Have you ever said that? Can I tell you, what is the reward that Jesus is talking about in prayer? Saying it is this very thing that prayer in itself is its own reward because you build your relationship with God and intimacy with God is the reward that you can have when the Father in heaven is your audience. You see, before this time, there was never a thought in the mind of the people of God that we could call God anything other than our creator, our sovereign, our providential God, that he's the maker of heaven and earth. There was no conception in their mind until Jesus comes in this teaching that we could call God our Father. What is Jesus saying? Think from this point forward, because I came into this world, you can have an intimate relationship with God. Six times in the passage that we read, six times it says we can relate to God as our Abba Father that there is an intimacy that is available between you and God that could not be had before Jesus entered into this world. Did you know that? Do you, have you ever longed for intimacy with God? If you're a child of God, he's saying this is what you can have, that you can have this kind of a relationship with God that is not distant where you can walk with God and you can talk with him. There, I remember hearing the story about this man who was on his deathbed and he was dying, terminal illness, had like a couple months to live. And he was a Christian, he was a follower of Christ, but he struggled to really understand what it is that even as I'm dying, that God is here with me. 
And so he called his pastor in and his pastor said, you know, um, how are you feeling? How are you doing with all this stuff? And he said, I feel like when I pray, God is so far away that he doesn't hear my prayers. And so he, the, the, the pastor said, you, you see uh, the chair that I'm sitting in? He pulled the chair up next to his bed. He said, whether you see it or not, as real as I am to you and as near as I am to you right now, this is how close your father is to you when you pray. And so the man said, well, what if, what if you left the chair right here? So that whenever I prayed, I would just talk to God as if he was sitting in this chair. And he said, yeah, you know, you could totally do that because that helps you to know how near God is to you. And so he rapidly began to deteriorate his health condition. And within a few weeks, he passed away. And so the hospital called his daughter and said, your father is no longer alive. He died today. And so she went and she saw her father's body and, and she said, well, was it peaceful? Was he fighting? You know, how did he die? Was it in his sleep? And, and they just said, yeah, he died very peacefully, died very calm. So was there anything, uh, you know, that seemed to show that there was something off? And they said, no, but there's one interesting thing that we noticed that when he fell asleep the night before he died, his head wasn't on his pillow his head was on the chair that was pulled up next to the bed. And it was in that posture that he died. He died in the bosom of his father that he knew was being intimate with him, even in his moments of greatest pain. And as he entered into glory, his last moments on earth, intimacy with the father so that he could see his maker face to face. Do you know intimacy with your father in that way? This is a kind of prayer that God rewards when you know that your audience is not just God out there, but he's God, your father. And that because of Christ, you have that kind of a relationship and that kind of an intimacy that is afforded to you as you pray. That's the first thing. The prayer that God rewards is prayer that understands that your only audience is God and he's your father. The second thing, second thing, the prayer that God rewards is prayer that includes both halves of the Lord's Prayer. What does that mean? Lord's Prayer begins in verse 9, goes to verse 13, and if you read it, it's, you could divide it up very nicely into two parts. Okay, the first part, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, 9 and 10. Second half, verses 11 and 12 and 13. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Two halves. First half is all about God and his agenda. Second half is about us and our needs. He's saying the prayer that God rewards is a prayer that includes both halves of the Lord's Prayer. Helmut Tillichy, he's a German theologian. He said, in this model prayer, in this model prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray for both great things and small things. To pray for the miraculous And to pray for the mundane, to pray for both big and little. Everything within the spectrum of our lives is to be prayed for. This is the perfect prayer. And Jesus, the expert, if there is ever an expert in prayer, it's Jesus. And he says at the beginning of verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. And as you read this prayer, you're saying, man, that looks almost too easy. 
You know why? Because anytime you see an expert do anything, it seems easy. When you see an expert ballerina, right? It looks so simple. When you see an expert golfer, it's so simple, right? They say, this then is how you ought to do it. And just do it. And you try and do it and it looks nothing like it, right? This then is how you ought to do it. When you watch Stephen Curry shoot a bat, it seems so easy, so beautiful, so graceful. But when we try clang off the, when you see an expert do something, it's almost too easy, and so Jesus, the expert in prayer, says, let me, let me teach you. Just follow me. This, then, is how you should pray. Most of you know we have this uh, wonderful uh, youth director named Daniel. Um, Daniel's very cool because he uh, drinks coffee at, like, a downtown Credo coffee shop, which is, like, so cool. And he, today, I, we said hi in the back, and he had this, like, sweet tea in a mason jar. I'm like, yo, man. Why are you, like, so cool? And, and the, he, like, folds his pants up, and it's so neat. So I said, okay, uh, as Daniel, he's doing a great job with our youth ministry. I said, uh, part of your training to be a wonderful pastor, a life-giving, life-changing, kingdom-shaping pastor, is that you need to learn how to cut my hair. That's what I told him. It's an important skill to have. So I said, can you do it? And he said, no, I don't think I can do it. Right? That's, like, hard. I'm scared to do that. I'm teaching him to try and overcome his fear, right? No fear. So I said, just do it. You can cut your own hair. Just do it. Yeah, just like that's what I said to him. And so he said, no, 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 I'm scared. I said, okay, watch. I'm going to bring in two experts to show you how to do it. Okay, one was a sister named Goonie, and another was a, a pastor named Pete from Houston. I said, just watch them and learn from them so that you can do it. And they said, okay, Daniel, you're learning to cut DL's hair. So this then is how you should cut it. Watch, watch and they do it and daniel's watching he's like man you guys make it look so easy make it look so simple and they say it really is it's that simple just a a one guard on the bottom and then kind of blend it out and then do another guard and then put water on it you want to try it he's like no 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 no, i'm scared i'm scared i'm scared i'm scared don't do it i don't want to do and so we said okay you don't have to do it right now so he brought in the other expert said daniel watch this then is how you should do it and he cuts it so true story. This is all true. Very true. Um, last Thursday, <laughs> this is true. That's, he said to me, you know what? Okay, after watching expert Pete do it, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. I said, really? He said, yeah, I think I can do it. You said that, right? He said, yeah, I can do it. So here's where it gets you know, maybe into the realm of hypotheticals. We don't know what's going to happen. But maybe in a couple weeks, my hair gets long. Say, Daniel, okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? And he says, yeah, I'm ready to do it. I can do it. I learned from the experts. They said, exactly how to do it he's gonna do it buzzing zing zing and he'll be like all right i think i'm done i think i'm done i think i did a pretty good job and so we both look at it like it's all right i mean it's kind of good but something looks a little bit off with it right something doesn't quite look right and so we call in the experts hey guys can can you come and like daniel did you do it exactly like we said he said i think i think so they're like yeah it's it's pretty good but it could be a lot better. And he's like, so what is it? What did I do wrong? And they're like, you only cut the left side of his hair. Now you got to do the other side. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Why not? Because it's too hard. It takes too long. I don't like that side anyways. That's what, that would be utterly ridiculous, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be crazy for him to say that? Can I tell you something? That's what a lot of us do in our prayer lives. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. But if you do an autopsy of our prayer, you'll realize that we've only prayed half of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. 
the majority of our prayers focus on give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not to temptation. And we completely jump over the other half. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not my will. And we always pray, let my will be done and bend your will to mine. Not your will be done even at the expense of mine. And so we can come out of prayer saying, you know what? That was pretty good, but there's got to be something more. Jesus says, here it is. Here it is. Say, listen, you've got to pray. You need to pray for your needs. That's legitimate. And on your prayer requests, as I, as I get them, you need to pray for those things. For your family, you've got to pray for your kids to sleep. You've got to pray for the teething issues. You've got to pray for they wet their bed all the time. You've you got to pray for the. You've got to pray for your kids to get into college. You've got to pray for a job. These are important. In fact, Jesus says you need to pray for these things. But he's not saying don't pray only for those things to the exclusion of the bigger prayers. You see, when you ask, when that lady asked my friend Sam, have you heard her pray? What are the prayers focus on? Is it only for our provision and for our pardon and for our protection? See, some of us are spending so much time praying for the forgiveness of our sins that we don't have any time left in our prayer schedule to pray for the real earth-changing, world-shaking, kingdom-moving kinds of things. You know, when you look at on your Instagram feed, you read the stuff on Twitter and you read about all of the craziness happening, about 200 people died in this plane crash. When you read about radical Islam and it's taking over, you read about these Muslim clerics saying arm people with knives so that everyone can claim the, uh, the, the, the reward of Allah. When you read about things like that, okay, when you hear about things like that, what does that move you to do? If you listen to the teaching of Jesus, he's saying, take that stuff, and yeah, we've got to pray for our needs, but you've got to pray for these bigger things as well. Because the world is not, we're not going to experience the life-changing, world-changing power of prayer if all we're doing is focusing on our needs alone. That's why, I mean, I invite you, come to prayer meeting and learn what this looks like. As we pray, we spend a little bit of time praying for our needs, but we spend a lot of time praying for kingdom stuff. Because that's the kind of stuff that changes the world. One of my, my pastors, a pastor that I really respect, he says, I believe that one weeping prophet can still save a nation. Do you believe that? I believe this. I believe that a weeping prophet, a man or woman who falls on their face and they weep for the sake of America can still save a nation from ruin and destruction. But it's not going to be a weeping prophet whose only weeping is for our own needs and the fact that I can't get my life together. We've got to graduate from that, y'all. It's, it's elementary. We need to, when we learn how to pray, we learn to pray for the things that are in our hearts. But as we grow in our spiritual lives, we grow to begin praying for bigger things. How big is your prayer life? Because God will fill with answers to prayer whatever you bring to him. About nine years ago, I, I was looking back at, at my sermons. I preached this sermon. I said, what do you bring in before God? If you bring a little cap to God, in prayer, God is going to fill this cap. But if you bring a cup to God, he's going to fill a cup. If you bring a, a, a bucket, he's going to fill a bucket. If you bring a barrel, he's going to fill a barrel. What are you bringing before God in prayer? What are the biggest prayers that you're praying? What kind of kingdom shaping, hell shattering prayers are you lifting up before the Lord God? Because you see, so many of us are only praying half of the way that the Lord Jesus told us to pray. This then is how you should pray. And we skip over so often the bigger, life-changing prayers to focus on give us this day our daily bread. 
We need both. We need both in order to really grow and soar in our prayer lives. Maybe the reason why we find our prayer lives to be so mundane and routine is because, Lord, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. And we get bored in everything in life, in house church, when it's all about the people in the house church, it's going to be boring. You've got to focus outward. In prayer, when it's all about you, it's going to get boring. You've got to focus outward. And when you begin to see life-changing prayers, when you begin to see the nations being touched because of your prayers, that's when we begin to grow. We begin to see the reward of God. Prayer that God rewards both halves of the Lord's Prayer. Last thing. Last thing we see. God's greatest reward in prayer is for those who pray both individually, privately, and corporately. Both individually, privately, and corporately. In verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 5, verse 7, it says, I, uh, but when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Two, two secrets. First thing, the secret to praying is praying in secret. You want to learn how to really pray? Come to prayer meeting, right? That's good. That will give you models. It'll give you examples. It'll give you strength. But the secret to really praying is praying in secret. I remember hearing um, a lady named Jean Darnell. She was a, a, a teacher of mine in a discipleship training school. And I, she just said something in, in passing that struck me. She would pray for people and they would be healed of their illnesses. And she said that there was one time where this pers- terminal illness, I forget if it was a brain issue or something like that, they were, they were not going to live beyond a week. Uh, they asked her to come and pray for her. They asked Jean Darnell to come and pray for her. She's an 80, 90-year-old lady. And as she was telling the story of how eventually this girl got healed through prayer, but she, this is what she said. And again, it was just a passing statement. But she said, before I got to that place, I spent hours praying for her healing so that when I got there, I only prayed a short prayer. And after we prayed, she was healed. You ever, you ever hear people pray for a long, long time about something and there's no effectiveness in their prayer? Because that's the extent of their prayer. Then you hear people who pray for just a short time and fire of God comes. Why? Because that prayer has been preceded by hours of private prayer, prayer in secret. The, pray, the secret to praying is praying in secret. Do you pray in secret? Everything in our culture pulls us away from praying in secret. Right? Everything about life is all just being connected with other people and, and you get distracted. We get distracted by TV and media and the internet and our smartphones and all of these things that are popping up. Everything fights for us to not spend time with God in private, secret prayer. But if you want to really grow intimacy as a man of prayer, see your prayers answered, you've got to go in the secret place. You've got to go to those places. That's where muscle is built. That's where spiritual muscle is built. That's where you learn to pray and to prevail and to fight in prayer. The first secret to praying is praying in secret. But the second thing he says... The second secret to praying is praying with other people. Ha! How does that make any sense? Well, because you ever see a bird 
with only one wing trying to fly. They might flap around a little bit, but they don't get very high. But if you put two wings on them, they can begin to soar. This is what Jesus is saying. Your left wing is praying in secret. Your right wing is praying together with other people. You want to really grow in prayer. You need both of these things. Because if you look at the pattern prayer, he says, this then is how you should pray. This then is how you should pray. He doesn't say, my Father in heaven, give me today my daily bread. Forgive me my debts as I've forgiven my debtors. All of these things are in the plural. You want to really learn how to pray? He says, go in secret. But in the second part of this teaching, he says, you want to really learn how to pray? You do it together with other people. And I used to say, you don't need to come to prayer meeting. You're busy. As long as you're praying at home, then you don't have to come to prayer meeting. But the more I begin to study the Bible and this passage, I think I've been telling people a lie and something that is unbiblical. He says, when we come together to pray, there's a synergistic effect that happens. Because prayer meeting is not just 15 individual people who come and pray their own things to God. We're praying together as a corporate body, and there is a power that happens where the whole is infinitely greater than the sum of its parts. You understand? It's, It's as if you were to say, There's a difference between taking someone's arm, throwing an arm in the corner, throwing someone's head in the corner, throwing fingers in the corner, throwing a spleen in the corner, throwing a liver in the corner, throwing somebody's foot and saying, okay, right, that's a body versus when those things come together. And the power of a body when it unites together in prayer. This is what Jesus is saying. There is a powerful, multiplicative exponential effect that happens when the people of God gather together to pray that you cannot experience when you're alone. How many of you guys know, you you know, if you've ever prayed in a prayer meeting with other people, you know that your prayer life goes far deeper when you pray with other people than when you're praying by yourself. The fervency, the inspiration, the power, the sense of God's anointed presence is thicker and greater when people seek the face of God together. Piper talks about this in, in, in one of his teachings. If you read through the book of Acts, the book of Acts is all about the church praying together. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven, 120 disciples pray together, and what happens? The Spirit of God comes in power and Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, they gather together and they pray as a whole church. 3,000 people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Signs and wonders and miracles are performed in their midst. Acts chapter 4, the people of God get together and the Lord adds to their number. Discipleship happens. Acts chapter 6, same thing. Leaders are multiplied. The gospel goes forth. People are converted all around. Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, Peter's in jail. The church prays. The jail opens up. Peter walks out. Acts chapter 13, the church is praying together and a missions movement is sent out. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul rather, are sent out to do the work of God. And the ends of the earth begin to get reached. Acts chapter 14, Peter and Silas in jail and they begin to pray and the shackles fall off. A jailer is converted and the church in Philippi is birthed because the people of God got together to pray. Guys, there's a power When you pray on your own, but there is a far greater power when we come together to pray. It cannot be understated. It cannot be overstated. That's why Wednesday night we come to pray. We pray and we shake and we pray for the kingdom to come in power. We pray Sunday morning for this worship service. 
Like we pray this place up. Saturday mornings, you come to pray. Pray, and even yesterday, just the, it, just the manifest presence of God in that place. Seeking the face of God. You cannot soar in your life in prayer if you've only got one wing. You can't soar if you've got no wings. If you're not praying, you ain't going anywhere. But if you're praying by yourself, you're praying corporately, you're going to begin to fly. You're going to begin to soar. I dare to dream what would happen if our church began to see even a fraction of us. Man, to, to come together and to pray. My goodness, what would happen? Church would be set on fire for the glory of God. I think every work of God in our church, so much of that, I believe, happens by those unseen warriors who are praying on Wednesday nights. Every week, 15 people come and they fight and they labor and they pray for our shepherds, for our leaders, for our youth ministry workers, for the missionaries, for the kingdom of God to come. Let's join the reapers, kingdom seekers, laying down ourselves to find life in the end as we join together in prayer. There's a power that is available to us, and I think we've only scratched the surface, a glimpse of what God wants to do. The storehouse of heaven had opened up to us if we would seek him in prayer. You ever watch these TV shows? Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm sure they have these these shows um, these days. I don't know what they're called, but these shows like the lifestyles of the rich and famous back in the day. When they would show these like really super expensive houses and their yachts and their rivers that flow through their home, the movie theaters and the basketball courts and all the cars that they have. You look at that and think, man, that's crazy. And then you turn off the TV and that's it. All you do is watch and look and see and wish and envy. And then you see shows like The Simple Life where you've got the Hilton clan and you've got the Richie clan, these famous rich families. And these kids have everything by virtue of the fact that they're in the right family. What Jesus is saying here, like, you know what? There's something that is available to you. That you have the maker of heaven and earth and you can dare to call him your Abba Father. See, every single one of us is born into this world kind of like we do with those TV shows. Looking at all of the greatness of the Orlando sunset. Looking at the beauty of the ocean as you go out to surf or, or to lay out or whatever it is that you do. Think, man, such an amazing vastness of all of creation. But then somebody comes to you and says, you know, you could be part of that family, the family of the father who owns this. Like, no way, that's not possible. Think about the, 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 the richest, the, the father who has everything, everything you could ever imagine. Right? All the money in the world would not be able to put a dent into the vastness of his wealth. And then his son says to you, hey, I can get you in. Like, no way. I can get you in. You can be part of this family. You who don't have a family, you can be part of it. No way. Yeah, it's possible. How? Just, just trust me. Just trust me. Just trust and follow. I'll take care of the rest. And so you trust 
The next thing you know, the father comes out and he says, my son, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Like everything? Yeah, just go for it. Have at it. Just jump around, play around. You're my, you're my kid. You're my daughter. You're my son. Everything is yours. You're the richest child in the world. You're a child of the king. You're a princess. You're a prince. This is all yours. And as you're enjoying all of it, but how did, how, did, how did I get all this? Father says, my son, you trusted him. He paid for all of it. But what, what did he have to pay? And then he shows you the cross. Why would my, why would Jesus do that for me? Just so that I could be brought into the family? Just so that I could be a child? He paid the ultimate price so that we could call him our father. He paid the ultimate price so that everything that the father owns could be given to you and to me. That's all ours. He says we appropriate that we bring that down to this life when we pray. The treasures of heaven pulled down and received by faith when we pray. He says it's all yours if you would just pray. Let's do it. Let's pray together. Guys, my friends, we are rich beyond measure. We're not orphans. We don't walk around begging and pleading and hoping for a handout. We're children of the king. And if he is your audience, God, your father, is your audience, then he will reward you. Do you know this intimacy? We leave so much out in the prayer closet because we're not entering into that place. So much blessing is left in the prayer closet. So much blessing is left in the realm of the unseen because we have not prayed. We have not claimed the riches of our inheritance in Christ. How will you live for the reward of the Father? Maybe for some of us, let's make a practical commitment to say, Lord, this week, I'm going to pray consistently every day. Lord, this week, I may not be able to do Wednesday and Saturday, but I'm going to do one or the other. Lord, I've made excuses why I can't come to prayer meetings. No more excuses. I want to I want to grow. I want to be a earth shaker. I want to be a mountain moving Christian. Savior, he can move the mountains. Have you seen it? And when we pray, we'll see it. I want to be one who walks on water. Have you gotten out of the boat of your comfort? You'll see it. You'll walk on water. God, I want to be a one who sees the walls come tumbling down, the walls of affliction, the walls of addiction, the walls of oppression. I want to see the walls come down. But will you step out in faith and walk around, march around eight times, even though you see nothing, to dare to believe that on that last time the walls are going to fall? Even when you don't see it, are you willing to take that step of faith? Guys, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are not of this world. We are countercultural. We live by faith and not by sight until that 
faith is rewarded with sight. Come on, people of God, let's rise. Too much is at stake for us to not pray the way that Jesus calls us to pray. Let's pray to the great I am. Let's pray to our Father in heaven. Lord, help me. Help me to grow. Help me to see my need for you. Lord, make me into a man of prayer. Make me into a woman of prayer. Lord, help me to walk from this place and not just have heard the message, but to be a doer of the word. Let's pray. Lord, help me. Change me. Shape me. Mold me. Turn my heart to you that I might be more like you in prayer. Let's pray. Let's learn from Jesus in the school of prayer. Learn from the expert. Let's go to him in prayer. attendance. They don't see it through the Bible verses that we post up on social media. They don't see it by the things that we tell them. They see it by the way that we live. They see it by the way that we pray. They see it by the miracles that are wrought in prayer. They see it by a changed life that is the fruit and the result of prayers being prayed on our behalf and on behalf of other people. They see it when the people of God claim our inheritance when we who believe that we follow a resurrected king live lives of resurrection power, when we who say that our father is the greatest father in all of the world, when they see the greatness of the father and his blessings appropriated to our lives through prayer. Lord, we need you. Teach us how to pray. Father, sometimes you put us into positions that force us to pray. But may those lessons not be lost when those hardships are taken away from us. But Lord, teach us to continue to pray. Make us a prayer. Lord, let our prayers from our lives be a cry. Jesus, we need you. Help us, Lord. We love you. We want to love you more and receive your love more as we engage with you in prayer. Help us, O Lord, in Jesus' name we pray.